Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Behind the Setlist, a podcast where artists tell the stories about the songs they perform live. It's electrifying. You know, we try to give them an energetic show with powerful music and message and lyrics so they leave energized, feeling like there's hope. You know, we have enough negativity in the world, we always try to give them positivity. That's Michael Sweet from the metal band Striper. Michael talks about touring the world, coming up in the early 80s heavy metal scene in Southern California, and much more on this episode of Behind the Setlist. I'm Jay Gilbert from Label Logic. And I'm Glenn Peoples from Billboard. Jay, how are you doing today? Good to see you. I'm doing very well, Glenn. Good to see you. We have a really good episode today with Michael Sweet of Striper and lots of other side projects that we'll get into. Three-fourths of the current Striper lineup is the original lineup, along with Michael. There's his brother, Robert Sweet, on drums, and Oz Fox on guitar. And on bass, Perry Richardson, who joined the band in 2017. Perry was a member of the band Firehouse, who had some success in the 90s. You know, Striper has been around quite a while. They formed in the early 80s. They, they broke up around 1993, but then began playing together in, in different variations around 1999 or so and did a formal sort of reunion tour in 2005. Uh, some people might not know that Michael Sweet was also the guitarist and singer in the band Boston uh, around 2007 to 2011. Uh, I really enjoyed talking to him. And you know what's impressive is how active he has been and how active Striper has been over the years. Jay, why do you think he has such longevity? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with Michael. He is a force of nature. You know, it's not just Striper. He does, you know, solo shows when he tours. He's also in this hard rock super group uh, with Joel Hoekstra on guitar from Whitesnake and Trans-Siberian Orchestra and Marco Mendoza. He plays bass and he's from Thin Lizzy and Black Star Writers. The, uh, one of the best drummers ever, Tommy Aldrich, is on drums. You know, he's played with Whitesnake, Ozzy, Ted Nugent, uh, you name it. And then they have Nathan James on vocals from Inglorious. So I think it comes down to work ethic. I mean, Michael Sweet is one of the hardest working people in show business. Their concerts are really heavy on songs from the 80s. They had a string of albums that sold very well, Soldiers Under Command in 85, To Hell With The Devil in 86, yeah, and In God We Trust in 88. You know, if you look at their set list today, it's about two-thirds the 80s music that you just referenced, and it's also about a third newer things. 
uh, from albums like Goddamn Evil from 2018 and even The Devil Believes in, in 2020. So they, they mix it up. And they do some covers that might surprise you. You know, around the holidays, they'll do Winter Wonderland. And I always loved their cover of uh, Shining Star from Earth, Wind, and Fire. Um, they actually have that on the album Against the Law, which came out in 1990. Fantastic version. And Striper has a new album coming out in October called The Final Battle. And they're working on a documentary, which Michael mentions. They raise money on Kickstarter. You can go to the kickstarter.com or the band's website to see more information about that. Yeah, looking forward to that. So without further ado, this is Michael Sweet from Striper on Behind the Set List. Let it roll. Hey, Michael, as we get going here, can, can we get a quick health update? Because I know you had some eye surgery, and of course, Oz has had his you know, brain surgery. And how are you guys doing? Well, Oz is doing great, uh, remarkably. He, he had two brain surgeries, one more serious than the other, but still both very serious. And uh, he bounced right back. He's doing great. I mean, it, I, you'd never know that that happened if you saw Oz right now. The only thing is he's on some medication that makes him a little lethargic, a little tired from time to time. Uh, but that's about it. Uh, thank God. Me, yeah. I, I, I've got this eye issue. That's why I'm wearing these sunglasses. Um, uh, this ongoing eye issue with my retina, it detached twice, and I just had my third surgery. I had oil in there for six months. And it's a very complicated surgery, believe it or not. That can have like a domino it, effect and lead to other issues, and I'm still trying to regain my vision, and I got to be really careful not to detach that retina again. I, I can't jump off of any buildings or out of any planes or anything like that. Right. No MMA fighting for me. Right. You know. For for a while. For a while, yeah. In about six months, I'm going to go at it again. You know. Good. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, I hope you heal up fast, brother. <laughs> But I'm hanging in there. I mean, all things considered, we're, we're both very fortunate. And we're in good shape. Uh, everybody has their issues, their health issues. They're all different. And as we get older, these things happen. And you just have to kind of roll with it. Now, it hasn't stopped you from playing. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I, I saw a recent video of you, maybe the... Monsters on the Mountain Festival. Were you wearing an eye patch? I was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and how was that doing a show with an eye patch on? Yeah, and the reason why I wear that is because when I'm out in the lights, in the spotlights, it's very difficult for me to see because uh, my vision is so different out of this eye and everything's smaller out of this eye because of my new lens. And my, it's going to take time for my eye to adjust. So when I go out there without a patch... You know, it almost feels like double vision. It's very strange. So I wear the patch, and it helps with that. And then I had to pull the patch off mid-set because the the sweat was going in my eye from the patch. So, mm. it, you know, it's it's one of those things I'm just kind of working it through. And it, people say, leave the patch on. It looks cool. So who knows? Maybe I'll have to wear that patch for the rest of my life just to look <laughs> cool. I don't know. It's kind of rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> Some people are saying it looks, you know, I've got that. Who's the guy from Escape from New York? What was his name? Was it uh, Snake Plissken or something like that? That's Yeah, the Kurt Russell character, right? Yeah, he, he had Kurt, an eye patch. Right, right. 
So, you know, it's, uh, I guess it's kind of rock and roll, and uh, of all things to happen, there you go. I got to wear an eye patch for a while, but hopefully sometime soon I won't have to wear that anymore. I'll be able to see and go out there and and just be normal. That would be amazing. Yeah. Well, with four decades of recordings, I mean, you've got an embarrassment of riches. Uh, You've had a few years off, but pretty much nonstop, you've been writing, recording, at, at a really high level, it's got to be challenging when you put together a set list uh, to give the people what they want. You know, some of those folks from the early days are going to want, you know, the the hits. But you have some later music, you know, that's awesome. You know, we were looking at Divider from uh, Even the Devil Believes. Talk a little bit about how do you kind of craft that, and does it vary by venue or region? Well, I mean, it does. It's 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 very interesting because uh, here in the states, you know, people, I think anyway, Striper fans, they want something that's similar to the past, but not completely like the past, right? And you know, and that's usually more in terms of production, effects that are used, tones. You know, you don't want to stay with. 1986 and keep recycling that so what I try to do because I produce the albums uh, I try to incorporate similarities in the in the melodies in the chord progressions in the style of song but take it somewhere else with the production and do just little little differences here and there in, in you know with whether it's we started incorporating a moog you can't hear it, but you can feel it on the choruses. It kicks in like, duh. It's a low-end thing. We never had that on the old albums. And when you listen in a car, you can just feel it more. It sounds like you're surrounded in another universe by bass. You know, and it's really cool. So just little subtle things like that. Uh, detuning. Going to, you know, different time signatures. Uh, you know, and slowing things down, getting heavy, and then speeding things back up. And... Just trying to modernize, but yet not taking it so modern that people uh, lose who we are and we alienate ourselves from our fan base. That's really important. You don't want to do that. Once you do that, you don't have a fan base. You got to start over, and that's not fun. You know, you announced uh, last year, I think it was, or was it earlier this year? You you you're tuning down half a step, and. Has you have that changed the songs you play, or has it just changed how you're able to sing those songs? Is the set the same, or what? What's changed? Mainly how we're able to sing the songs. And when I say how we're able to sing, I mean all all of us sing. You know, we Oz sings a harmony, Perry sings a harmony. So when we're tuned up, it's more difficult to hit some of those notes because there's a lot of high a lot of high parts in all the vocal parts. Mine, Oz's, Perry's. Um, so we were at rehearsal one day, not long ago, and I was struggling on a couple songs, just like, you know, kind of reaching, really having to reach for those notes. And we stopped and Perry said, let's just tune down, you know? And, uh, and I said, really? You know, I, no, we're not tuning down. We don't have to yet. We haven't yet, but I guess a few other bands are. And I started researching it and texting people, Kip Winger, <laughs> uh, CJ Snare, Firehouse. And I said, what do you guys tune to? And they both came back with D. 
and Kip said, man, that's a, that's a career uh, saver. It added 10 years of my career. I'm, I'm not sure exactly what he said, something to that effect. And uh, he said, we've been tuning down to D for a while, so we dropped down right there on the spot. We just all sat there and tuned our guitars down a half step because we were, we were always at E-flat, which is Van Halen tuning, I like to call it. Mm-hmm. So we've always been a half step below 440. So we just dropped it down another half step from our original key. And I think it sounds tougher. You know, it makes so many songs like Tell With The Devil, Soldiers Under Command, they just sound fatter and bigger and a little more, little more chug to them in the low end on the guitars. And I like it. Yeah. How's your voice feel at the end of a concert after tuning down? So much better. Does it? It's amazing how just a half key going out and performing. Like we did a tour in, on a bus for four weeks. I made it through the whole tour. I had no struggles whatsoever. And we did some four in a rows. And, you know, when you get wow. you get up to my age, you know, you do less and less of those four in a rows. You, you, you don't do often three in a rows. Uh, I had no trouble. It, it, was, it was like I was 18 again. It was amazing. Plus, you sing at a pretty high level. I mean, for rock and roll, there, there are singers, and then there are folks like you. That's, that's just a bit tougher, a bit higher register. You really belt, you scream, and these songs, they're not easy to sing. You know, it's not like James Taylor, right? So for the fact that you're doing that at such a high level, uh, that that's amazing. Well, thank you very much. That's very kind of you. But you're you're so right. Uh, They're not easy songs to sing. It's one of those things that you just don't know until you try it. Uh, and, you know, guys, guitar players even sometimes like, ah, that stuff, Striper, you know, they suck, you know, they, they, whatever. That's not difficult. Here, let me try. And then they try. And it's like, really? It, it's easy? Is it easy to play? Can you figure it out, really? You know, and they have trouble figuring it out because yeah. there's a lot of, in the guitars, there's a lot of parts, notes little hidden notes and things you don't understand until you start listening and learning and it, it's yeah. there's more to it than you would think and that applies to the vocals as well uh, a lot of upper register belty chesty kind of stuff it's not throat kind of singing it's more like just yeah you know really projecting and doing that for yeah. 90 minutes four nights in a row it, it it can do a number on you you know if you're yeah. not doing it right yeah, we were talking before, sorry, we were talking before we hit record about how the Striper is like a freak of nature in that you've got two legit lead guitar players. You've got four cats that can sing at a high level. Um, you're kind of uh, playing with a stacked deck. You've got a really great crew there. Talk a little bit about, you know, you've got Perry in the band now. He replaced Tim, and you guys have covered... I think, was it All She Wrote? We have. We've covered All She Wrote. We'd like to cover more. Perry doesn't seem as excited as we are about covering Firehouse songs. Not because he dislikes Firehouse. It's just, I guess, because he was in Firehouse. And that's the past, and this is the present. But 
it, it, we had a blast covering that song. Great band. Firehouse is a great band. Perry has really brought a lot to the table, uh, vocally and uh, musically. His, his sense of playing, his bass style, he really lays down a great foundation to build upon. And that's what's so great about him, you know. Um, and he can play with fingers or a pick. Uh, he's got a great look, great stage presence, and he's got a great voice. He talks like, you know, if you hear Tim Perry talk, he talks like this, you know, real low, southern. But then he sings, you know, like a bird. And it's very interesting. It's very cool. Uh, he was part of a gospel quartet when he was growing up. So, great singer. And it's really cool to have Perry vocally because not that Tim wasn't a great singer, but Perry is a, a really special singer, you know, in the sense that he's got an extra special sauce there that makes him lock in even better bass playing-wise and vocal-wise. And then you got Oz, who has a great voice, and Oz is a, is a great player. And what happens, because Oz is a great player, I think often people forget that I play, and I've kind of lived with that my whole life. It's, it's something I got used to, then I wasn't used to, then I got used to, and then I start to get kind of frustrated at times because I work really hard on my guitar playing, and I'm a guitarist first. I started playing guitar before I started singing, long before, and we were a trio. And if you listen to every Striper song, you watch every Striper video, you're going to hear two guitars. And... When people come to the show after they see us and they say, man, the one thing I learned tonight is that you play guitar. Sometimes I literally want to say, what are you talking about? Where have you been? <laughs> but, you know, I think it's because I'm the singer. You know, I, I'm known as the singer and people just assume I'm the singer. Right. But, I, I'm I'm a guitar player too. Yeah, not a lot of bands have a lead singer that can play lead guitar at that level. It's just not super common. It's not. There are some there in some great bands at that. I mean, obviously you got guys like Richie Kotzen, who's a great singer, great player. You know, equal at the same level in both areas. You got guys like Dave Minichetti from uh, Y and T. Used to be Yesterday and Today. Uh, one of my favorites, uh, uh, Pat Travers, you know, guys like that, more from the blues era, rock thing. Out you know, the lights. Killer singer, killer player, you know. You, you, got, yeah. you got some guys like that in this world. But most of the time... Would you put Sammy Hagar in that group? What's that? Would you put Sammy Hagar maybe in that group? You know, I wouldn't put Sammy Not in that... Not to put that, you on the spot. I, I wouldn't put Sammy in that group. I would put him in that group vocally, but as a guitar player... I think he's a good guitar player, but I don't think if he were just a guitar player in a band that he would stand out as much. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, sure. This is, this is just my opinion. Um, but, you know, then you got guys like Paul Stanley who can play guitar, but couldn't be a guitar player in a band. Right. You know, right. he's... he's he looks amazing with that guitar, and he plays guitar well, and he sings great, but not really a lead player, that kind of thing. And, you know, I, I started playing guitar when I was five years old, and, uh, man, I, I work more on my guitar playing than I do my singing. I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I love to play. 
I, I really love to play more than I love to sing. Yeah, Michael, I read a, um, this really great spin article from 1985 online recently, and it had a great quote from your mom, who was co-manager and, and sold merchandise, as described in the article. And she said, um, kids are tired of listening to, quote, wimp Christian bands. And so <laughs> take us back to the, the early to mid 80s and when you were coming out of the Southern California scene. And what was it like being Striper then? Man, if I said that today, I'd get in so much trouble. Um, you know, I tell you, it was really surreal back then. Uh, it felt like a dream. It didn't feel real at all because we were, we worked so hard to break. Uh, started working and saving and buying our own gear and then going in and recording our own demos after we saved up enough. After two, every two or three months, we do demos and demo after demo after demo, going to labels, trying to get deals. And this is back when I was 17 years old, 18 years old, so early on. And then we finally got signed at the ripe old age, an old guy. I was 20 years old when we got signed. And I look back on those times, and back then I thought, oh, are we ever going to get signed? I'm getting old. And I was 20, you know. And we finally got signed, and I just think, you know, what a special time for us it was. To have been on the forefront of that whole scene and we were very different in the sense that we were a rock band on the hollywood club scene that became christians we weren't christians that became a rock band and i think that's the difference between striper and most other christian bands rock bands is they were christians that became rock bands we were a rock band that became christians and I think that kind of sums it up right there. Um, and there's a big difference in the way we think, the way we write, the way we produce, the way we sound, the way we perform, who we perform with, everything we do. There's quite a difference. Uh, and it's not to take anything away from them. Uh, we, I respect so many Christian, uh, Christian bands. And, it, you know, I love, love P.O.D., love Skillet, uh, Switchfoot. Uh, Pray for Rain, Bride, if you want to go back a little bit further, obviously, and even Petra, man. I, I, got, I have a newfound respect for those guys. Um, just a great band, you know, um, and great yeah. guys, great hearts. So I, I have a deep respect for a lot of those bands. But then again, some of the bands I never really got into, and I don't have anything bad to say about them, but I just, I never really got into them, and... Uh, don't know much about them, you know? Yeah. You've got such a great catalog to draw from, but I also like some of your cover choices. Um, I think it was Against the Law that had Shining Star, which was so amazing. Um, talk a little bit about some of the covers that you did. We, we looked at setlist.fm, and there were some of these that I didn't even know that you'd covered. I'm going to... I'd known you'd done some of the Boston songs, and of course... Uh, delivered those at such a great level. It's so hard to, you know, sing a song that Brad Delp sang, but you know, whether it's Kiss, Shout It Out Loud or Black Sabbath, Heaven and Hell, you know, Judas Priest, Breaking the Law, you've done a lot of really fun and interesting covers. Talk a little bit about how you choose some of the cover tunes that you record or just play live. Sure, sure. It's really easy for us. It, basically, we just go by what influenced us. You know, it's as simple as that. Like, what bands and what song in particular 
really had an effect on our lives as musicians, young musicians. So when we put together the covering, we just said, oh, that song, oh, that song, that song. It was just so easy. Scorpions Blackout. We used to play that over and over and over again in the garage where we rehearsed. Um, Oz grew up on Sabbath. We all like Sabbath. He loved Sabbath. You know, so it was, that was a no-brainer to do Heaven and Hell. Um, Van Halen. We're all huge Van Halen fans. Uh, we could probably just do a cover album of Van Halen songs and be totally happy with that because we love Van Halen. Probably my favorite band of all time. Um, so yeah, it, just, it was so easy to put that cover album together and we're looking forward to the next cover album. Uh, we've been talking about that for a long time, but we're going to do another one. And what we're going to do on that one is we're going to dive deeper into like the deep tracks of a lot of these bands. And also some bands that people wouldn't expect us to be influenced by. So I'll leave it at that. It, it'll be interesting. You'll hear a song and be like, what? You know, they were influenced by these guys? And it's like, yeah, we were. You know, somewhere in my, my record collection, there's a seven-inch single of um, picture disc, possibly, of Winter Wonderland, which was a great cover you guys did. Man, love that or hate it, <laughs> that's a fun track. It is just a fun track, you know? It's it's not like any other Christmas track that you'd hear. And it, it, we had fun making that song. Uh, and I think that comes across in the music and in the recording itself. Uh, it's so important when you're tracking as a band, you better be having fun. If you're not having fun, fans are going to pick up on that. And we're still having fun to this day, believe it or not. We really are. Do you play that song live? We do. And it, it, it's funny because often we play it in like warm climate countries in the summertime when it's 110 degrees outside. But, you know, we get there. What happens is we pull into town, we fly in or what have you, and we get in the van and we're driving. They're like, you're playing Winter Wonderland, right? That's very big here. And we'll add it to the set spontaneously, you know, that type of thing. Talk about your set list when it comes to things like drum solos, guitar solos, bass solos. Back when you first started, it was a different era. Um, I don't know if people have the attention span anymore that they used to have. But when you're putting together a set list, are you still doing solos for everybody? And are they shorter, longer? Are they different in any way? We don't personally do solos. But I watch old video uh, you know, of us live in Japan or any of the old videos from the 80s, and we did solos. My brother, Oz. I don't think I ever did a solo. Uh, I, it always felt a little awkward to me. Like, it, I don't know, I just it just seemed like they want to hear music more or a song more than me playing a solo. That's how it always felt to me. Uh, but, you know, it's fun. When I watch my brother doing a solo, I'm thinking, wow, that's cool. Now, would he do that now? I'd have to really twist his arm. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, you got you to gotta work out something special. You want to do something really special. You don't want to just go up there and jam. That's boring. It's got to make musical sense. And my brother could do that very easily. 
But I just sure. don't know that he wants to do that. <laughs> yeah. I, my brother's 62 years old, so I just don't know if at this day and age if he wants to do that. <laughs> He's also fun to watch. It's like watching the Muppets drummer. He's so theatrical in the way that he plays. You know, I think it's also more about just watching, you know, the joy and watching him do it. Yeah, exactly. That's the fun thing about Rob. And, and you just kind of led me to my next point. It, Rob really pretty much is soloing in every song. <laughs> you, by that, I mean, you know, he's putting on a show and going crazy and lots of fills. And that's part of his thing. And he's known as the visual timekeeper. And he is very visual, and it's really cool and fun to watch him. And that's why he turns sideways, too. That's a big part of the reason. I was watching some some uh, sets in Mexico you guys did just before COVID. I think on YouTube there's, there's videos of you playing Indonesia. Obviously, you mentioned Japan, and you were signed to Japan a long time ago. What are some, what are some good metal rock countries that Americans might not know about? Where, do you, where have you played that really stand out? Like when I was in Indonesia 20 years ago, it seemed like a, a pretty rock metal loving country. Oh yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, we were there as well. We played in uh, in Nagaland, uh, the furthest part of India. Uh, it took us like four flights to get there, hours upon hours, and we got there. And it was a tribe that brought us in, the chief of the tribe of all the people there was a Striper fan and he brought us in and we played two shows and I'll be honest we were expecting the worst you know uh, we were greeted by teenage guys in uh, skirts and spears and that was our security they said that's your security and, and um, we just felt like gosh how is this going to go uh, probably not well, but I got to say, two of the funnest shows we've ever played, and each show was like 4,000 plus people. Screaming, singing every word, metalheads. Blew my mind. So, Nagaland, I mean, I can't really pick just one place because Japan, there are metalheads there. They love it too, but just they're more reserved. It's a little different feeling. Very polite, very reserved, but boy, they love it. And we love them. Uh, you go to places like uh, Brazil. They're a little crazier, a little more passionate about uh, the way they perform with you in, in concert, at a show. But man, fantastic. Puerto Rico, wow. What can I say? You know, passionate as all get out. Beautiful people. So many places. And every place is so different, but incredible in terms of the people that love the music of striper love metal and are so supportive in there to just have fun and, and, and you know just have a blast together as one family and that's what we're doing yeah incredible who puts together the set lists throughout all of your career is it you who gets out the sharpie and actually does it and secondarily to that who can you switch it up on the fly if you guys decide one night hey you know what we should really play that thing can you do that oh yeah yeah we do that we do that a lot usually i put together the set list lately uh past 10 12 years or maybe even more i've been putting together a set list i send it out to the guys and they i usually get a thumbs up you know 
if there's an issue, they'll be like, hey, what about swapping this song with that song? I'll be like, all right, cool. Uh, but usually I base that on popularity of songs. I always go and research. I look online. What's the most popular songs? And we try to hit most of those. Um, or vocal ability for all of us. All right, can we get through this song and into that song and then back into this song? and be able to pull it off three or four in a row. I gotta think about all these things. Um, mm. And it works out, and we do change it on the fly. Like when we go to another country, we get there, they say, oh my gosh, I believe in you. That was our so uh, theme song for our number one soap opera in Brazil. This happened to us. And I, I got there and then I said, you're kidding. Because we didn't have it in the set and I didn't know the song. And then they said, yeah, you have to perform it. So I learned the song. up and performed it acoustically with two Brazilian singers and, and we, we did it and they went nuts. But we changed the set list on the fly a lot. And we'll tape out a song and write in another song. We don't do it all the time, but we do do it quite often. And uh, just try to have a good time, go up there and give the people what they want so they walk away happy. And we don't always, you know, we always, we don't always meet that goal, but we try. The last set that I saw online, um, I believe, was Monsters on the Mountain, which was August 20th, and Striper played there, and you did a solo set. It looked like a short solo set. I did a very short solo set, yes. Was that just you and a, just you and acoustic guitar? Me and an acoustic, and I was really concerned about that set, more than the Striper set the night before, because... Uh, my eye. I I wasn't long off the heels of my last eye surgery, and my eye was hurting uh, and throbbing and, and, and painful, and I was just like, you know, I'm, I'm worried that I'm going to hit one too many notes too loud, and my eye's going to redetach, you know? And um, so I was concerned during that whole set. Uh, but I got through it. it. It wasn't my best set, but I got through it. And the Striper set was amazing. A lot of fun. Great turnout. We played one hour after Stephen Piercy of Rat. And uh, the crowd loved it, you know? We, we're, we have so many fans out there that support what we do, even though we're different. They still support us. Yeah. They, they, they enjoy us as much as they do Queensryche or, you know, Tom Kiefer or any other band that's there. Sure. It's a lot of fun. I mean, if you can't have fun at a striper show, you probably don't have a pulse. It's, I notice when I see your shows that people are, they're smiling. They're having a good time. Absolutely. And I mean, what we do is we try to take people to church, but we don't beat them up, you know, with the Bible. We don't come out and preach, sit on stools and, and preach and shove it down their throats. But we take them to church in the sense that it's electrifying. You know, we try to give them an energetic show with powerful music and message and lyrics, so they leave energized, feeling like there's hope, you know? We have enough negativity in the world, we always try to give them positivity. And that's what I mean by taking them to church. I think they feel like they just got out of church, like, okay, we can get through the week, you know? And it's really cool. You know, early on, you made, um, you made a name for yourself, in, in a way. Gain popularity or notoriety, uh, but what's the best way to describe throwing Bibles into the audience? Maybe the small New Testament, not not big, 
big Bibles, probably you could, you might hurt somebody. Yeah, I thought I might have one here. <laughs> yeah, they're small. Yeah. They're like, they're like yay big, you know, and they're that thin. They're, they, they weigh nothing. You can put them in your shirt pocket. Yeah, the small ones. Yeah, we did. We, what happened was we started throwing those out, tossing those out way back when, from the very beginning. And the reason why is we felt it was very important to, to get the word out. Uh, equally as important as the music and, and what we were singing. And uh, we started throwing those Bibles out, and we, we found that after the crowd would clear, there were a bunch of Bibles left all over the floors of these venues. And we're like, we're thinking to ourselves, oh, that's not good. Yikes, you know, we got to figure something else out where people take these things. So what we did is we started putting striper stickers on them. That was it. That, <laughs> ever since we put those stickers on, that is the hottest item. Everyone wants one. That's the, that's the item everybody asks for more than any other item. And it's pretty amazing. And when we throw them out, we only throw out 20 a night, 25 a night. Never one left, and people are asking for more after the show, more than anything. Marketing. <laughs> Incredible. Unbelievable. Yeah. So, Michael, what's what's next for, for you and for Striper? First of all, you know, Godspeed. I hope you guys heal up really quickly, get back to 100%. I know you're still going to keep rocking as you uh, heal up. What's what's next over the horizon for uh, for Striper and Michael? Well, I'll say, you see the gray, see some of the gray in my little thing here? So this is, this is my meter. When that's completely gray, I'm done. <laughs> and of course, that's a joke. But uh, I'll shave this thing off when it turns gray. I, uh, what's next for us? You know, a lot. We got a new album coming out, hopefully everybody knows, in October called The Final Battle, a new song coming out called Transgressor, music video, this time not a lyric video. Very excited about that. We've got more touring this year. We're doing the Kiss Cruise Mexico tour uh, and a number of dates here in the U.S. And um, we have next year booked entirely and completely for more touring and a documentary. We're shooting our documentary finally. So we're super excited about that. And, you know, I've always got other side projects going on. Uh, I just had an album release I was a part of called Iconic uh, with Tommy Aldridge. Was a great and, drummer. Uh, Marco Mendoza, Joel Holkstra, Nathan James. Just an amazing album, amazing band. And I'm blessed to be a part of that. And I've got other things going on. You know, Sweet Lynch, a new album coming out eventually. Uh, more solo albums. So I'm just, I'm always doing something. And that's how I'm built. I, I can't sit still. I can't stop doing what I do. Um, and I hope that day never comes that I have to. Uh, I hope I can keep doing it for a long time. Uh, and, and, yeah. and there you go. But, but expect a lot more from Michael Sweet and or Striper over the next at least you know, 10, 15 years, uh, maybe beyond that. Looking forward to it. Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Continued success. Uh, we're looking forward to the new album. 
Thank you, guys. You guys are awesome. I appreciate you taking the time to Thanks talk to me. Thanks for joining. It's great to talk to you. And I wish you nothing but the best. And hopefully we'll see you at a Striper show sometime soon. Yes, you will. That'd be awesome. We'll see you soon. Thank you, brother. Okay, guys. See you later, man. Thanks. See you later.
step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.